live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. I'm Bob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davey, and we are the hosts of The Water Zone. So welcome to our show tonight. Hope everybody's having a good thing. Mr. Davey, how are you tonight? Splendid. Thank you very much, Mr. Starr, and uh, welcome to you, too. Hey, are you going to tell us any you know, tidbits about when you were on holiday a week before last? No. <laughs> <laughs> and and probably the wiser will be for it. Uh, no, nothing bad. I just Just the people that were standing real close to the edge of the rim of the Grand Canyon. They wanted their picture taken, and, and six inches past that where they were standing, they would have been gone. I wouldn't have seen them. They would they would have flew a mile down, and they probably would die of a heart attack before they hit the ground. Yeah. But that's, that's a scary place. <laughs> I know. It's an awesome place, though. I mean, just the grandeur of that. The first time I ever saw it, and I was a kid at the time, Rob, it just astounded me. I've never forgotten that moment when I walked out through the trees there to the rim of the Grand Canyon. And yep. saw it for the first time. I'll never forget it. My my entire life. Uh-huh. Well, it was a really hot day, and every water bottle machine was empty. Uh-huh. And if you wanted to get something at one of the restaurants, you had to wait two hours. <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was crowded, but nice. Uh, very interesting. Um, uh, I'm glad I saw it because I've never been there before, and it was it was just uh, a true wonder of the world. I got I got to say that. And I you know we only saw one portion of it. Uh, when we took the train from Williams to the, the center of that place. But uh, very incredible, very incredible. I got to tell you, man, when you called it, thank you for calling in the night that we had Mike Barron on. And when you called in, disguised yourself as Merle, that was awesome. I played it back. I played it back, Rob, and it was it's marvelous to hear. If you haven't heard it, check it out. I'll, I'll check it out. So anyway, anyway, we got to bring on our most favorite guest that comes on all the time. And uh, here she is. The is the purveyor, principal, owner, big shot, boss, chairman of the board of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Welcome, Chris. Hey, good evening, everybody. Yes, I'm the I'm the ruler of the kingdom of nothing. It's quite a kingdom. Yes, give yourself a raise. You deserve it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll I'll double my equity. Two times zero. Zero. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. So well, it's a nonprofit. So what can I say? No. <laughs> Emphasis no. on the non. <laughs> no, no problem. In case, in case anybody from IRS is listening, that you clarified that really good. So. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know, in reading in reading your stuff every single morning, which is it's the first seriously, it's the first thing I do every morning when my computer comes on. I go to that first thing, and you know, we're we're experiencing a water shortage and drought, which is the highest threat that we've seen in years. And uh, there's a uh, centuries, some would say. You know, I mean, it's it's dry. It's I, it's even drier this time around than it was back in like 2015. You know, the year when we had only a sliver of snowpack, it's actually, we seem to be in worse shape than than we were then, Uh, you know, in terms of reservoir storage and, you know, and 
And we thought we were dry then, but we managed to get, I do believe, even drier the last time I was looking at the chart. Um, it's uh, it's very serious. Dry, oh, yeah. You know? I mean, when you, take, when you take a look at Lake Mead and Lake Powell and how the lowest levels they've ever had. But there was, there was a gentleman uh, uh, from Stanford University, uh, Nusha Ajami. He's oh, the director uh, actually, of... actually, a lady, yeah. lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And, and 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 yes, uh, it it's not Ms. Ms. Nusha Ajami. I was corrected today. It's supposed to be Doctor Nusha ah. Ajami. And and I've I've learned this, you know, because I cover a lot of scientists on my blog, and I have learned. I actually go out and check to see if they are a doctor, because if they're a doctor, I need to address them as such. Otherwise, I get emails. And not from the people that I wrote about, but other people who are indignant on, on, on their behalf. Like, how oh. dare you? So the lady wanted me, this person wanted me to resend out my email because in the, I, I was, you know, I had to shorten the headline. So in the headline, I, I, and I hate to call people just by their last name. So I just put Ms. Ajami. And it should have been Dr. Ajami. Uh, so. <laughs> does, that, does that apply with the new woke uh, things? Are you allowed to call them a doctor? Like I said, I saw a, a sign, a little tabletop sign uh, for our vice president, and I think you pronounce it Kamala versus Kamala. I'm not sure, but because I've heard her say Kamala too, but I, I don't know. Uh, on, on the sign, you know, when they speak on TV or they're at, they're at a meeting, you see this little table card with their name, and it said uh, Vice President Harris. And then right after the name, it was a parenthesis that says her and slash they. And I have no idea what that means. I saw that. <laughs> you know what that means? Yeah. I mean, you call uh, it yeah, a, you know, I, I'm not sure in that instance. Uh, but, hey, we're kind of getting off the subject of water. Uh, so so I'd, like, I'd like to suggest we, we turn <laughs> to the subject of water. and. Dr. Nusha Jami was talking about um, in her article, which was uh, headlined the Daily Digest today. And what I really got from it is that, you know, I mean, it, it, to me, nothing that, uh, you know, that when you sit down and think about it, haven't heard before. Uh, you know, it's like we, we've built our water systems kind of on this idea of abundance where we don't have to, we don't think about being careful about things. And, you know, large distributed systems, you know, like water or even like food, for instance, are not uh, particularly efficient. Um, and there can be a lot of waste. I mean, there, it, it's actually quite amazing how much waste there is in food just getting it to the grocery store and into your house and how much gets spoiled and, and rotten along the way. Um, you know, it's stunning. And so the water distribution systems in a lot of ways can be similar. It's, it's not an efficient way to deal with some of these things and, and picking up the wastewater and, you know, gathering it in one place and, um, you know, so... We, we kind of need to be rethinking the way that we, you know, that we approach water and the way we approach, you know, how we deliver it and how we use it. You know, we and, and we need to be thinking about recycled water, sure, that's, you know, that's in there too. Um, 
And, you know, she also said, you know, we need to be paying more for water. I mean, because we don't pay for it now, and there's a lot of things that aren't there. And she also pointed out that um, that grass, you know, the largest crop grown in the United States is actually grass. And, you know, we don't eat it. And, you know, in times of drought, we don't need it. Um, at least we don't physically need it. I, I think green spaces uh, do a lot for mental well-being. So I, I'm not going to say that we don't need those things at all. But I do think um, that there are ways, um, I mean, there are, there are ways we could be much more efficient with our water, both inside the house and outside the house and in our communities. And I am not, I, I don't think everybody should uh, pull up their grass. And, and I'm really not a fan of these, you know, rock people that, are, you know, the, when they take out the grass, they fill it up with rock and they put, you know, some little pieces of something in there. Um, You know, I'm not a fan of that style landscaping. If you want that and, and, you know, and it's easy care for you, then great. You know, I'm not going to deny anybody their choice of landscaping. But I do think that, you know, there are places where there's grass here still here in Southern California that nobody ever steps on. It's just, it's ornamental, and it doesn't need to be there. And, you know, like, I think if, like, we have, we, when we had kids, we had some grass in the backyard. I think that's, you know, appropriate. If you have kids, you know, you, they should have grass. Um, you know, as long as people use it, that's great. There's so many front yards that people don't use, you know, except across to get to the front door. You know, so there's different ways that we can be more efficient and we need to be thinking about you know we need to be thinking about that and and thinking looking at water use with a uh with an eye towards efficiency um and sort of changing the way that we think about it so you know it's it's interesting uh because you know this they talk about this drought and that a lot of the uh, infrastructure in the American West was built at a time when it was unusually wet in the climate history for this area. So, you know, we're really facing some some big crises here. Uh, doesn't, and doesn't the rocks generate heat? Oh, the rocks in the front yard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. you're taking grass out which helps purify the air and does a whole bunch of things and oxygen. And now we're going to put rocks in and, and generate climate change to raise the temperature. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, my husband and I have been looking at properties, and, you know, you flip by on Realtor.com, and, I mean, I have just seen some things I just shake my, my head at. You know? Yeah, those rocks uh, are like, Oh, yeah, they, they absorb the heat and they radiate it off at night. And my understanding is, you know, a lot of those plants that they put in there can't take it because yep. it's really hot. And yep. and it's, it, you know, to me, it's just not attractive. 
But even there may be listeners out there that have done this, and maybe they're happy with it. So I don't want to, you know, like I said, I don't want to tell anybody, you know, that it's, you know, that it. I, I don't know. It's just not for me. Let's just say, just not for me. No. And I think, you know, there there are more attractive options uh, that you can do besides that. And again, you know, I here we go. We're getting into the drought, and I don't think that we should be vilifying every piece of grass that we see, right? I mean, I think grass, you know, there, I think parks should be green and grassy. People should be able to go to a park, and, and it should be nice and grassy, and, you know, kids have athletic prices, you know, practices there. I think that, that's good. Um, if there's grass on the center median of a road with, you know, three lanes on either side, you know, I, I would say, does that grass really need to be there? You could put something in there that uses much less water and much less maintenance. I mean, there's areas, you know, I still see them out here, the, uh, on, around the entrances to certain um, housing developments. They put a big old greeny, grassy area there. You know, it doesn't have to be there, especially if nobody ever will ever step on it, then what's the point? Right. There are there are other attractive things you can do with that. Um, so, told, you know, so we told, need to be thinking about that. I totally agree. What about you know? I heard heard there's a big discussion now about desal plants because they're trying to build one in uh, uh, another Southern California place, and, and uh, there's a lot of controversy, pluses and minuses about that. Yeah, they uh, Poseidon wants to build a. Uh, desalination plant in Huntington Beach. Uh, this one is uh, similarly like the one in Carlsbad. It's, it's been um, in permitting for many years, possibly more than a decade. Um, it's not, um, I mean, it's controversial. People there, uh, you know, there's a strong uh, cohort of residents that don't want it. And a lot of people that do, um, so it's you know it looks like it's headed toward uh, being permitted. Because so far it's managed to jump all the hurdles. Um, but yeah, you know, it, again, if we're back in drought, so we're gonna you know people are gonna be talking about all these things. We haven't started hating on the almonds yet, but that that's. That'll come. I'm I'm not worried. <laughs> That'll probably be next month's thing. But yeah, so people, you know, always want to think, well, how can I increase supply? And you know, desalination it, it is an option, and there are ways it can be, uh, you know, less impactful to the environment. Um, and and they're really working. Uh, on you know, I guess the most the, the biggest impacts of a desal plant are the, its energy use. It uses a lot of electricity to run the plant, and the impact of the disposal of the brine, which is usually released back into the ocean. And there's a lot of work being done on those two fronts to make it more energy efficient and to you know reduce. The, the salty brine or find a different use for it. You know, people will point out, and it's quite true, you know, we used to think of uh, sewage treatment, you know, wastewater treatment,
treatment plant water as waste, and now we see it as a resource. Right. So we could get to that point with with this brine, and and you know people are working towards that. Um, the the problem is that desalination on a large scale, I don't think is is going to work in California on a large scale. Let's say to really uh, put make make a huge portion of uh, Southern California's water supply. Uh, it, at least the technology is just not there yet. But even if the technology was there to do this, you know, at a scale, we don't have the infrastructure to deliver that water. So the plant in Carlsbad, I believe it's. It's a million gallons per day, which sounds like a lot, but it's not really. Um, and it just makes up 7% of the San Diego area's water supply, just, seven, just 7% for that one, that one plant. And uh, the estimate that I heard several years ago was that if Metropolitan were to just uh, want to replace, say, their state water project water, the water that's coming from the Delta, about a third of its supply. If we were just going to do that with desalination, we'd need like 19 desalination plants, like stretching from, you know, Orange County all the way up to, you know, Ventura County. Uh, And I can assure you that, you know, there would be a lot of opposition those plants but so we need a lot of those plants okay so say that you could get over that opposition you could get everybody to buy into these 19 plants okay but the infrastructure to deliver that water into the city it's just not there because california the water comes in from the north and it comes in from the east and the pipes as it comes in are large but as it distributes to the different areas and moves down slope, which is to the ocean, right, those pipes get smaller and smaller and smaller. And by the time they're in, you know, Santa Monica and Long Beach, wherever, they're just a fraction of what they were when that water entered the area, you know, from, you know, the Colorado Aqueduct or the State Water Project. I mean, it would be like like getting a transfusion from your pinky toe. Mm. I mean, it's like the the vessels just aren't there to deliver the water. So it'd be very it would be hugely it would be hugely expensive just that part. And we're not well, even counting building the desalination plants and getting everybody to buy into that. Well, so, I hear the I hear, I hear the Alameda County Water District as their their Newark, what they call it, desal plant, and that's running pretty efficiently. It uses a little bit different technology than the Poseidon Group down in Carlsbad. Yeah, and I think for certain areas, especially coastal communities, I think it's you know it's it it's it's a very viable situation. Um, but we're talking you know coastal communities. I think the i you know the the idea of Desalinating water and piping it long distances inland is is just 
it's not economically viable at this point. But yes, and in Monterey, uh, they've been trying, they've been working very hard to get a desalination plant built there. Uh, they're really in an impossible situation, at, at least from my understanding of it. I, I don't think they have any other uh, option but to build a desalination plant. Uh, they, well, remember, they don't. Carlsbad took 17 years to get approval. Oh yeah, yeah, and and the Carlsbad plant is not. It's it. I mean, while it's been running and been working fairly well, it's also had its share of water quality violations in terms of the discharge into the ocean. And I mean, they have had some violations, so it's not. It's not a you know perfect operation. But I mean, it it supplying some water to San Diego. And San Diego, that area, they have worked very hard to diversify their water supplies. They don't have any groundwater in San Diego, so they really depend on imported water. And so the desalination plant to them was a big purchase um, and something they felt that they needed. And in a way, it's kind of hard not to... You know, I mean, you can certainly see their point. If all their water is coming from somewhere else, well, let's make at least some of that here. Um, And they're also working on getting recycled water and other things in there. But San Diego has done a a really good job of diversifying their water supply. Uh, You know, it's good. They're in Monterey. They have this situation where the state water board told them they had to stop pumping from the river. They were taking more than what they were entitled to, and so they gave them a timeline to stop drawing from the Carmel Carmel River. Um, but you know, it, in Monterey, in that area of the state, they don't get any imported water. They just get what nature delivers them. They do have groundwater. And um, they're working on managing their groundwater. It, you know, they have some critically overdrafted basins, but they also have some a lot of agriculture in that area, and they actually have some agricultural water agencies there that have been working hard long before uh, California mandated groundwater management. Right. They've been working very hard to manage it there. So, right. you know, a lot of people on top of I think they have the highest rated uh, fees for water in Monterey in the state, I believe. In Monterey, I thought I thought that honor went to San Diego. I mean, huh. San Diego's up there, you know, because I, I, that's the one thing I forgot to mention. They've been doing a great job of diversifying their water supplies, but it, it costs money. Uh, yeah. you know, but water doesn't necessarily come for free, especially if you're going to take it out of the ocean and make it drinkable. But um, right. uh, yeah, but water is expensive in Monterey as well because it's very tight, and, and they have to be very careful with it. Huh. Um, and they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do because they, they've been told they have to stop pumping from the, the river, but uh, they, you know, they need the desal plant and they can't get it approved. Yeah, Chris, I don't think that in any conversation you can have about water today, conversations we have on this very show, 
that you can or anyone can overstate the importance of water. You know, the old saying, there is no life without water. I, I believe that because water is needed to make coffee and the dinosaurs didn't have coffee and look how that turned out for them. So, you know. <laughs> hey, I'm with you there. Got to have my coffee. No water, no coffee. But real quick, uh, with just a couple of minutes left on your segment, can, can you, I heard, I heard the State Water Resources Board um, uh, would, uh, put out some new emergency regulations and, and they're likely to lead to, uh, to curtailing uh, the Delta watershed water users? Is that is oh, that? A oh, yeah. I mean, this is a big thing. This went, da back, uh, this went down back in 2015. You know, I mean, in the, in the time we have left, it's kind of a little hard to explain. But the State Water Board essentially is going to try to curtail water rights, the oldest water rights, the most senior water rights uh, that we have. And it's highly controversial, and there'll probably be lawsuits. There were lawsuits over last time uh, when they did it, so they're trying some. They're trying a new way of doing it and trying to get more buy-in. But it's never popular when you're telling farmers that they're you're cutting off their water. Yeah. So it's uh, tough times ahead, folks. Well, Chris, we, we appreciate, again, the, the update of what's happening. You, you certainly know more than we do, and, and uh, you got your ear to the ground and the ear in their meetings. Uh, we do appreciate you coming on. For our listeners, please go to www.mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber, become a, uh, uh, a funder of it, uh, a sponsor. It's, it's a great way to get your daily water news, and I mean it's daily, seven days a week, and, and, and it's right on stuff is spot on and it's uh, it's a great read every day and uh tells us a lot more than what's going on than i can read in any newspaper or even any television news or radio news you, you i have to commend you you put out a lot a lot of good stuff can we mention about what she might be nominated for we can go ahead i'll let you have the honors all right so chris i'm, I'm here to uh to announce to our listening public that uh chris austin purveyor of maven's notebook has been nominated for the 21 2021 class uh of the green industry hall of fame congratulations yes. chris austin thank you thank you awesome and news just, and, and and all and all our listeners should know that all of the the hosts like chris and mike Barron and and her and myself we're all part of that, and we are very, we're very happy to, that we uh, got. Uh, I don't think I deserved it. I think you guys deserve it a whole lot more than I do. But uh, it, it was, it was heartwarming for me to do it, and I'm going to be there when Chris gets inducted. I'll tell you that. Me too. So. All right. Chris, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. We're going to go into our uh, commercial break, and then we have our featured guest coming on from the Irrigation Association. So uh, stick around. We'll be back in just a few minutes after our commercial break. Stick around for the second half. We'll be right back. This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yucaipa. They love you. They love you not. They love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? 
Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project, so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock, because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Oh, well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes, a better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSeries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied, fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied, fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the Technical Service Hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. K.C. A. A. Well, welcome back to the second half of the Water Coast Show. I'm here with Chris Davey. I'm Rob Starr, and thanks for joining us and sticking with us. And uh, I was just uh, looking out the window here, and the wind has picked up. It's now 97 degrees, went up a little bit. It always gets warmer in the late in the afternoon. And it does at noontime here. And now we got a breeze. I, I would guess it's like 25 to 30 miles an hour. So, and the sky's getting dark. So maybe we're going to get some rain. We don't know. But anyway, we're back. Uh, we want to bring on our next guest. And he is a, uh, not a newbie to the industry, but a newbie to the Irrigation Association. His name is Coleman Garrison. And he is the Director of Government Affairs and Public Outreach. So Garrison, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, you're very welcome, uh, and congratulations for joining the Irrigation Association. We're glad to have you. Yeah, I've been on the month just under two, or been on the job just under two months now, and I've really enjoyed the time and getting to learn more about the irrigation uh, industry, both ag and landscape that IA represents. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, great to be on this program and get to know both of you. Yep, we appreciate. It. We've had. Many of your people on our show, and, and, uh, and I think you know that our company uh, was one of the founding members of the IA, and uh, we've been doing the radio shows uh, live from uh, the irrigation show every single year for the last past six years, so we're very we're very proud of that. I'm looking forward to doing it again this year. So I have a question since you're, you're new to the organization and new to our listeners. 
How did you get into this industry, and what made you come this way? Yeah, so uh, between you know the ag and the landscape side of the irrigation industry, I have more of a background in agriculture. Uh, I worked on Capitol Hill. I am based in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you had mentioned that or not. So I'm based in our headquarters in Washington, D.C. And I worked on Capitol Hill for a number of years uh, out of college and worked on agriculture policy uh, in various aspects of that. And then from there, went over to work for the National Association of Conservation Districts. So started to get into more of the, uh, not necessarily Capitol Hill government related, but more of the uh, Natural resource protection and certainly irrigation and efficient irrigation in the ag industry is a, is a big part of that. Uh, spent several years there, and you know, uh, my predecessor had worked for IA for a number of years. So when he moved on, the opportunity came to work for the Irrigation Association and really kind of focus more on irrigation and uh, obviously efficient irrigation, efficient water use. Uh, so just kind of a natural progression uh, across my uh, career. Yeah. And now, and now they're they're much more into lighting and other things, and uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty neat thing. Um, I, I know we we've been advertising every single week about the uh, July Water Month, uh, uh, Smart Irrigation Month, and that's been going very good for you guys. And and maybe you can tell us a little about what's been happening with that and what you're involved with at that and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. So July is Smart Irrigation Month. It's a uh, an event, a month that IA highlights uh, to do just that, to promote smart irrigation. Uh, and, of course, you can think of smart irrigation in a number of ways. Uh, but it's really, the, the purpose of it is multifaceted. It's a way for IA uh, to help our members uh, educate their users about becoming a smart advocate, a better advocate for water. Uh, so we provide a number of resources, uh, marketing materials, uh social media materials for uh, our member companies to be able to promote the work they are doing to promote uh, smart water, uh, smart irrigation, efficient irrigation. Uh, but it's also a way just really to, along with IA and our members, to just educate the public uh, about the, all the benefits that irrigation can provide. You know, not everyone can appreciate uh, the need for irrigation in the landscape or the agriculture sectors, uh, but there are so many benefits that irrigation can provide uh, that it definitely gives us a chance to tell our story and the good story that we have. And while we do focus on the month of July, uh, this is certainly not something that, you know, in two days here as the calendar turns to August 1st, that we're going to kind of put in a drawer until next July. Uh, but it, it kind of just gives us a chance to really highlight this effort. Uh, but smart irrigation is something that uh, that we know our, co- our member companies and the end users you serve are practicing on a daily basis. Good. Hey, Coleman, this is Chris. Welcome to the show again uh, from, from, from my side. Listen, you know, we've got, um, uh, we've got uh, in Toro, we've got uh, the auspices that we always put that little, you know, SIM logo, S-I-M, Smart Irrigation Month logo on our, on our emails. And I've been doing that for, for a while uh, this month and always supported Smart, Ir- Smart Irrigation Month. We do um, a number of ancillary uh, programs off of Smart Irrigation Month ourselves, uh, and, and it's always worked out for, for us, just if nothing but for the fact that we bring awareness to, uh, to all the variable aspects of Smart Irrigation. Um, so in the show coming up here in December, as it, as it comes up, any insights you can give us to, as to anything that uh, you know, we might be expecting? This is the post 
COVID kind of show that's coming up here. So I don't know if there's any insights or any things that you can reveal to us. Is there is there anything you're willing to talk about? Sure. Uh, we are planning as if we are having a show this year. So everyone, you know, cross their fingers and cross their toes uh, that this December uh, life will be continuing as normal. Um, but of course, as everyone knows, last last year we had to cancel our irrigation show, which was a really, from what I heard, a really tough decision. Uh, but when it was made about a year ago, uh, ultimately, I think it, it proved out that it was the correct decision. So it's been two years since many of our uh, the people who attend shows and our members have had a chance to really see each other face to face. So we think that is just more than anything else uh, the real benefit to uh, someone attending the irrigation show in December is to be able to see uh, your friends and colleagues from across the industry and in different parts of the industry again, and uh, from a social aspect as well as you know the business aspects of the trade show. So we are really focusing this. Uh, irrigation show on the trade show because we know that networking has not been able to take place over two weeks or over the last two years. People are tired of conference calls and Zoom and Zoom meetings uh, and being able to, you know, talk to people face to face is really what we're trying to focus on. So registration is open, open taking place in San Diego, uh, which I know for someone who lives in Washington, D.C., I'll probably be looking forward to getting out of uh, the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic there in uh, in December and some warmer weather. Uh, but the trade show uh, is really the feature of this irrigation show, the opportunity for uh, the companies to get together. So that, I think, is really what we are focusing on right now uh, and how we can continue to, to meet the exhibitors' uh, expectations uh, to have a well-running show and something we are certainly uh, excited uh, to see everyone in person once again. Uh, but we're well, also going to be having uh, – oh, go ahead, please. No, Coleman, I was just going to say, if you're going to be any place in the United States in the in the first week of December, San Diego is one of the finer places to be. Absolutely. I think from what I hear, I've only spent a couple of days there in the past, uh, but from what I hear, most times of the year, San Diego is a, is a good place to be weather-wise. Yeah, and we, we will be there in the Toro booth with a full studio uh, uh, on the show floor – and uh, doing interviews and and uh, talking to folks and and Coleman certainly hope that you will uh, stop by and uh, shake hands and talk to Rob and I right Rob yes and uh, I'm talking to your uh, executive director Deborah Hamlin we wanted to set up some things with all the award winners that you've announced so far and get them to come in and then we also go around and, and feature other other suppliers who are there and other other uh, uh, manufacturers. And bring them on, tell, them, tell tell us a little about their show. And we're going to be broadcasting live, actually, so that will be that will be uh, excellent. And then we do a wrap up after the uh, the show is over uh, there at the same time we broadcast now. And so we'll do a follow up with that with Deborah and, and, and probably yourself and, and anybody else, uh, maybe Sarah, Wilshire, and some other people from your staff. But uh, yeah, we're looking forward to. It. Now, one of the one of the good things that you guys do there also is you do training. Training is going on at the same time the show is. And and, and uh, maybe you can talk a little about what some of the programs are for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot happening in the show, but the kind of IA University, the training that we that we provide there during the show, is just another aspect and another reason we think it's so beneficial for folks across the industry to attend the meeting and receive that professional development and training and education uh, to make sure that the uh, incredibly uh, smart and technologically driven products are being utilized and implemented and installed 
correctly uh, for the end user to be the most efficient user of water they can be. Um, so we, we do hold those classes throughout the year, uh, but really focus there at the IA trade show uh, as well. But you also mentioned the, the award winners, uh, and that's part of also uh, Smart Irrigation Month. That first Tuesday of the month, we always announce the award winners uh, that generally are being interviewed at the show. Of course, we didn't do that last year. We did online winners. Um, but we're really excited to announce the winners this year of all our various awards. And uh, I believe it is my understanding uh, that uh, this show is a past uh, winner of the IA Innovation Awards. Yes, we were the first ones in that category, actually, and we were very, uh, very proud of that. And uh, again, we thank the IA for being a good partner with us and us a good partner with you, you guys. And, and one thing to mention with your classes that, that I'm, I'm amazed at, but the bookstore, you put a little bookstore in the show uh, that people can, attendees can come and buy books, uh, training material and stuff, which is excellent. You really can't find anywhere else. And, and that's that I find that to be very helpful for myself because there's a lot of things I do not know about uh, irrigation, for especially with agriculture and other things like that. I am interested in vertical farming and all the technology that goes with that. I, I come from more of the electronic side. Chris is more of the hydraulic side. I think we work well together, and, and we're pretty well-rounded. To, to not, not that each, each one of us don't know the other's work. We do. But, uh, but finding that information and getting the updated booklets and training materials and things that you guys have there, it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely awesome. Well, as, as you mentioned earlier, I am just under two months on the job, so you just taught me something. And this will be my first irrigation show. I did not know that we had a, a, a book uh, sell there, so I'm really excited to attend, to obviously meet some of the members that I've already spoken with on the phone, but also just to see the full spectrum of the irrigation industry that will be in attendance. Yeah, bring your, bring your credit card. We'll sell you some books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's quite a treat, and we're and uh, those of us in the industry who have been going to this show for many many years, decades in the case of Rob and myself, although we don't want to reveal too much here. Um, it is just an awesome prospect to have it coming back, uh, uh, Coleman, and and look forward to seeing you there. So let me let me pose this question to you: at, at the water zone here, we get we have gotten or received in the past few months at least um, many questions about uh, Biden's. Uh, American Jobs Plan that's coming out, the $111 billion in water infrastructure that's slated uh, in that in that plan. Um, from from the standpoint of the IA's position on that, the, the lobbying, the work that 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 you do, uh, anything you can tell us in, as, as to what maybe you you guys might be you know posturing up for and and getting ready for, ready for in that uh, as it relates to the American Jobs Plan. Sure. Well. If you read, watch the news any day, that some of the stuff changes on an almost hourly basis, although yeah, uh, it, it appears that there is another agreement or just the same agreement, a little more uh, firmed up right now. Um, but there is definitely a wide, ray, a wide range of infrastructure that would be included in that, kind of when you talk about the hard infrastructure. And in this case, you're thinking, you know, anything related to water. So if that's, I heard you talking about desalination plants to your previous guests, whether that's water treatment plants or additional pumps. Uh, dams are certainly something that uh, they're in the news a lot, that they're in a state of disrepair across the country. And for uh, areas of the country that rely on man-made reservoirs for their water supply, either because they don't have enough groundwater or surface water already, uh, there should definitely be some improvements to that to help kind of firm some of that up. Uh, on the ag side, a lot of parts of the country rely on federal 
uh, water conveyance structures that were built decades ago uh, to supply their irrigation water. And many of those are in a state of disrepair as well. So we really think there is an opportunity to, it's probably not going to still be enough. Uh, and this is just, you know, a first step alongside uh, many other steps as well. But I think there's definitely a good opportunity here to provide some of those infrastructure investments uh, and infrastructure investments in water are perhaps some of the most important things you can do uh, because water is the key to everything that we're dealing with here. Uh, so we're really excited about that opportunity and hope that uh, we can get that across the finish line. In, in, in all the halls of the government that you've rambled through in your career, I always ask, I don't always ask, but it's a curious question to ask, where do you, in your position, where do you see the future of water? That is a great question. Uh, I think because everyone realizes the absolute importance of having water for communities, uh, it is it is uh, up to us that are in kind of in the industry, as it were, to tell the story that we are being smart about how we utilize water, and uh, whether that is for ag and the the food that we supply uh, for the nation, but as well as the world, or on the landscape side. I think we've really seen during COVID the the benefits of having uh, outdoor recreation space. Uh, a lot of times uh, folks, maybe from an area where they don't need irrigation for their landscape, don't understand uh, why some parts of the country do need to irrigate uh, various landscapes. And I think that really showed the benefit of that. But increased technology, increased infrastructure. I mean, we have the most powerful computer right in the palm of our hands every single day that can do so much to efficiently apply water in the right time, the right place, the right amount. Uh, and so as those improvements include, I think the future of water uh, is, in, is in good hands with the, the folks who help deliver that water. Uh, but it's still a story we need to tell because not everyone understands that, not everyone appreciates uh, that part of the, the kind of the overall puzzle of what water is. Water doesn't just feel to don't go down to the streams to fill up their buckets to water their plants. Uh, so they, they need this infrastructure that exists, whether they know it or not. Uh, so it's really our our job through radio shows like yours, through uh, efforts like the Smart Irrigation Month, to tell the story of how we are delivering water and how we're delivering water uh, efficiently. You know, we had a water conservation specialist on the show a couple of months ago, and we were discussing that here in the Southwest where irrigation is absolutely a requirement if you want if you want anything green in in in, in the summer months, Coleman. I mean, it's just it's uh, mandatory. Um, so so you know, in the concept that everybody that moved you know from back east in the fifties and sixties here and they want green lawns, you know, all the benefits of growing grass versus native plants and all that all that kind of stuff, cooling effects and and oxygen and and places to play and things like that. All the all those come into um, uh, uh, into play. But I think the big, you know, the biggest issue that we fight with here um, in the Southwest, uh, as it relates to a drought, uh, drought conditions, by the way, is um, is that is that this drought, the one that we're looking at right, uh, you know, right now in 2021, um, is is just is in terms of um, reservoir and capacity and pools and all that stuff in in the uh, in the uh, water system here. It is just as bad as it was in the mid 2015s, right? 2014, 2015, when the previous drought uh, was in effect. But these days, Coleman, 
nobody is crying, you know, the sky is falling, chicken little stuff, um, because so much progress has been made since the drought in the mid-teens, uh, 2010s, uh, that even though the severity of, uh, of uh, what pool water requirements and what's left in the reservoirs here is as high as it was back in 2015, the consumption and the water savings and the conservation that has taken place since then has had such an impact that, uh, that the sense of urgency has been essentially removed. Now, if this drought goes on for another three, four years, then, then we could be back in a sticky situation. But um, I mean, kudos to the Southwest for, uh, for all the stuff the water agencies and everything else has, has done. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure, or I hope, that uh, you know, the folks in government uh, see that progress that has happened here in the Southwest. Absolutely, and that's such a, that's such a wonderful story to tell. Um, and it, it really is, you know, sometimes people think when they, talk, when they hear about water restrictions, uh, it's like, well, everything's going to die if we aren't allowed to water, but it's really about, you know, watering exactly what the plant needs at the right time. And overall, if, if you follow these steps and follow what uh, research and science has shown, you will consume much less water, and especially if water is as expensive as it is, I know your last guest also was talking about, uh, we, can, we can use less water and have just as green, uh, whether it's a lawn or uh an orchard. Yeah. You know, the, the, I think one of the biggest things to think about is the water for agriculture, because obviously they, they use more than the typical households with, with landscape and the technologies that are coming out, which used to take 20 years to happen. Now it's like every six months, somebody comes up with a new, a new gizmo uh, to help the uh, agriculture world. Because, you know, here in California, that's a big portion of our economy in California, same, same in Arizona. Um, you know, I, I hope the government gives more money out to the agriculture world for, for, for building new technology, because that, that's going to need it. I mean, without, without water, it's one thing. Without food, that's another. I mean, it's going to be a, a, one of the most crucial times that we've lived in if this happens. And Americans, yeah, Americans get to enjoy the safest, most abundant, cheapest food supply known to man. Uh, yeah. And it's really also part of the story with Smart Irrigation Month as well as the rest of the year, is explaining how we've achieved that. And it's heartbreaking hearing some of the stories in California about uh, farmers just having to let their, their trees just die because they can't get enough water. Um, so that, that, is, that is something we are going to have to continue to focusing on because uh, have, having decision makers and the policymakers and the public understand why it is they can have that safe, affordable, and food supply is all part of the story, and it does. It relies on water. Yeah, absolutely. Are you having this year? I think you're having again this year the uh, where people come and and, and uh, hawk their ideas and see if they get any companies that are uh, interested in buying their technology. Is that gonna? I think that's gonna happen again. Is that is that true? Do you know? So we're doing a. I'm not I'm not as familiar with that. I know we're doing a new product contest, um, and there is an innovation uh, a part of the show as well. So we're kind of still rounding things out, but trying to figure out what what we can do new with the show this year uh, to really to really benefit the folks who are going to be flying in. Uh, we know folks are still maybe still concerned about flying across the country or attending shows. We're going to make sure it's as worthwhile as possible. 
And, and, and the shows, you know, obviously for distributors, for manufacturers, for contractors, success, but even general public comes and they can learn a whole lot of stuff by walking around and talking to all the pros at, the, at each of the booths. I mean, there's a more wealth of knowledge in that building than anybody can even imagine uh, when that happens every year. So uh, I'm looking for it. I always like to walk. Uh, I, I try to stop the, the booth duty and, and the radio show and walk around and and talk to other manufacturers and other other things that we see that catch our eyes that are pretty unique technologies and uh, bring them on and let them talk about it. So uh, again, that's that's one of the things that I really enjoy coming to the show for and 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 seeing people that are typically three thousand miles away from us that we don't see every single day. So uh, that's that's a good thing. Absolutely, I know I'm I'm looking forward to it as my first show. Yeah. Well, we want you, we want you to be on the show the uh, the evening of the close at uh, six o'clock. You don't have to wait till the uh, a half hour later. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be on you'll be on our time, and just so our people know you're on the East Coast, so you're you're almost at uh, ten o'clock at night. So we sincerely appreciate you taking the time to come on. And like I said, all all, all month and, and even before we uh, Sarah sent us stuff to read on the show uh, to help promote uh, Smart Irrigation Month, which we always will do. This is the first year. Chris and I did make a funny picture. We always send a funny photo in uh, that we create, and we didn't get a chance to do that because we're not together. We're uh, we're spread, uh, you know, like 400 miles apart from each other. We don't get to, we don't even go to the studio anymore because of the COVID. We're doing it remotely. So, anyhow, uh, maybe next year we'll come up with some uh, fantastic uh, photo again that makes everybody laugh. That's yeah, Coleman, why don't you tell our listeners where they can get more information about the yeah. uh, about the upcoming show and the Irrigation Association real quick here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, as we do have two more days of Smart Irrigation Month, just smartirrigationmonth.org. Uh, we'll give you all sorts of resources about how to participate this month as well as into the future. Uh, but if you go to our website, irrigation.org, uh, you can find uh, information about the conference, uh, about the, the trade show, and what's all included. Registration is open. Uh, so certainly hope you're able to register and uh, get your uh, your flights and hotels uh, ready to go. Uh, but irrigation.org will have all the information you need about the Irrigation Show and Education Week at San Diego. Perfect. Well, we're up against our NBC News Hour, so we want to thank you again for being on the show. Our listeners will be back for next week, so stay tuned. And the most important thing Chris and I want you to do every single day is help keep our planet blue. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Talk to you next week. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM.